Psalm 139, and I thought I would introduce this passage that we're in tonight with a picture of my granddaughter, our granddaughter, and because uh, uh, last week we were looking at this. This is one of the imprecatory psalms, psalms of David, and um, uh, it is a psalm that actually the imprecatory part, the part that asks God's judgment upon the enemy is really the end of it. Uh, it's in the fourth point, which is God judges righteously. But tonight I want to look at primarily uh, point three here on the outline. God made us wonderfully. And a familiar text that you've probably been in before. But it really speaks about the formation of life in the womb. And how God is not only all-powerful in that he creates and forms but he holds life and he even holds our days and our times and he knows them all ahead of everything. So I'm thankful for that. So we're going to look at that point three. God made us wonderfully. And let's read from Psalm 139, verse 13 down to 18. Psalm 139, 13 to 18. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, And marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Lord, again, we are grateful for your word tonight, and I thank you, Lord, that we can dig into it this evening and and just look at this text that we have before us. And I pray, O God, that you would just... Help us to appreciate you more, the very fact that you are the God who controls all things, and you control us, O Lord, and you control this world around us. You are the Lord of all. And so I pray, O God, that you would just uh, work in our hearts this evening and calm us where we need to be calmed down. Help us, O Lord, to uh, be prepared for what the Spirit of God would teach us tonight. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have this, uh, the, the points that are found here, and I want to look at each one, and I'm just going to go in. It's nothing too detailed this evening, but uh, God made us wonderfully. And the first point of that is God arranges our bodies. And just like I showed you that little picture of uh, little Esther, uh, you know, a little over nine months ago, uh, she wasn't even on the radar, you know. And all of a sudden, here's this little person that we get to be introduced to. But the Bible declares for us that life actually begins in the mind of God even before there was any life. He knew everything, and he knew our very parts, he knew our days, he knew our times, he knew everything about that. He knew what we would be like, each and every one of us. And more than that, he knows us in that intimate way that only a creator can know. And the Bible says in the context of life beginning, it actually begins not at the day of birth, but the day of conception. 
And I would say, again, we, we know that it was God who breathed into Adam, or into the earth, really, the dust of the earth, and he breathed life into that, and, and here comes a man that he forms. And just like anything that you do and you make, uh, you become familiar with it, don't you? Now think of God, he knows everything about everything, because he created everything. So uh, I, when I make something, I have to use tools, and sometimes it doesn't come out all that great, you know, but, because I, I can build some things, and, but I have to follow the instructions, I have to do that, and, and, but man, is, we have that desire in us to build and to create, but we can't create something out of nothing. Only God can do that. Only God could take the elements of the earth, the elements of really the whole cosmos that are around us, the basic elements that we're standing on and sitting on and breathing and all of that, and he's able to bring those things together and form life. And that's how powerful our creator is. He begins by saying, For you, Lord, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And I like that. The word for formed there, it, it literally means that you're the one that created. You're the ones that, that brought forth this and attained it. And that's the Hebrew word that is used. And he says, Lord, you're the one that made my inward parts. The parts that nobody else sees. He made. And he's the one that holds them together. You covered me in my mother's womb. The word to cover, it means to knit together. It's a Hebrew word, the root of it is used in the book of Exodus when it talks about embroidery, you know, the tapestries and the various articles of the clothing of the priest and others where they had to uh, in, in, take fine linen and, wo- and fine woven material. It was weaved together by a fine craftsman, or in that case, a weaver. And that same idea of something being created for beauty. And he says, you covered me in my mother's womb. You began to form all those things together. You wove them together. And I still am amazed that you can have, in the course of just a few months, less than a year, going from just a a, a little embryo in the womb, a baby, but an embryo, and then all of a sudden you have a person that's looking you in the face with eyes and a mouth and nose and ears, and they hear and they see and they taste. And then in no time they begin to talk, and then they get to run around and all the other things, and then they get expensive, right? (laughs) Yeah, but listen, that's life, and the world is filled with that, isn't it? And God is the one who formed our inward parts. He's the one that made us. In the book of Job, Job, the oldest book in the Bible, also says that, It says, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinew. Think of how God, that's so descriptive of how we are formed. We're knit together. And it doesn't take much for just one thing to go wrong and all of a sudden there's a big tear in the garment, isn't there? And and, and that's the way we are. We're held in that balance. We're fearfully and wonderfully made in the presence of God. God did that. He breathed life into us. And he continues that life process with man. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 5 says, As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Wow. 
And what here Solomon says is there's some mysteries we just don't understand. Now, certainly from the time of Solomon to now, we can look into the womb with an ultrasound and they can look right in there and see three-dimensionally how those bones are developing, all that. But to figure out exactly how those bones can come together and form something as, as complex or simple as the hand. You think of that. The hand has 27 bones in it, okay? Unless you're missing a finger or something. But, you know, you have 27 bones. And you think about what your hand can do. Actually, they say with um, people who have amputations, one of the hardest things to reproduce for function is a hand. And, of course, they're trying to do that robotically and all that. And yet you still don't have the sense of touch and all those things that the actual real hand has. And it is very difficult. You think of all the things your hand can do, right? You can hold it out flat. You can make a fist with it. You can point fingers. You can uh, clap two hands together. You can shake somebody's hand. You can grab a hold of uh, something and crush it. And yet you can also pick up a little delicate flower and hold it. And all of that is in those bones and the hand and the nerves and all that stuff that goes on. And God formed that. And the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us that those bones grow together in the womb and it's God who makes everything he's the one that holds that I love that and again it just speaks highly of our creator who can do that and and the hand you know it's 27 bones isn't that complicated really when you think about it how about the just the billions and billions of combinations of DNA in that form you know the human gene genome and all the different things that go there. And yet, he holds that all together. Psalm 139.14, he says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearfully means, like, awesomely, I guess, if that would be a, a good word. It, it, it's to stand in awe and just wonder. And as I said earlier, um, if you stop to think about life and the very fact like here he is viewing it from conception in the womb and on that it's an amazing thing absolutely amazing the other day when I'm holding my little granddaughter in my hand and I'm just holding her and I have her head supported right in my hand just like that and I'm looking into her eyes and she was sleeping I do that to people (laughs) I figured that out a long time ago and, and then I'm just thinking, Lord, how is it that this little one that we're just now getting introduced to, you know, she's, all her parts are there. <laughs> and I'm just so thankful for that. And I just said, wow. And that's really what that word fearfully means. Sometimes you have to step back and say, wow, isn't it amazing? And then wonderfully, just that filled with wonder. And I'm not going to try to go down through details of the human anatomy and things, but I'll tell you, life in general, just any kind of life, even the simplest forms of life, are just wonderful. In other words, filled with wonder. Filled with ways that should make us just sit back and go, wow, right? And that's what he says. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. By the way, the the verses here that we just read, these two verses, um, they cover a couple different aspects of... of uh, life i would say in the questions of life right you have origin who made us well god made us he's the one that breathed life into the first man and woman and then from there through procreation life continues right and that life is in the pattern of things that god established 
And that tells us of our origin. That means that a marvelous, wonderful creator made us. And I think of all those people walking around today that have very little hope. And they wonder, why in the world am I here? And how did I get here? And you know, the Bible gives us hope. And it gives us the, the question answered of where did I come from? And then secondly, about uh, the, the very fact that um, he's the one that gives us meaning or value as well. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single person, we should say, wow. And on Wednesday night, we were looking at that book by Erwin Lutzer. Uh, I think many of you were there. And we were talking about, uh, in that chapter, um, dealing with various things. But one of them was the idea, like I, I mentioned, the country Iceland. And it's one of many nations that has basically said that there's certain life that shouldn't exist and they they push that and one is uh, down syndrome which is an extra chromosome is what it is and uh, considered a, a defect in in procreation and yet uh, many of us have met down's syndrome people and they're very functional and happy a lot of times and uh, you know you can talk with them and all kinds of things and they are very much people and that girl, I watched a little video, I didn't show you guys that, but just her saying, when people look at me, she's one of like on average two babies born in Iceland every year that have Down syndrome. Most of them are aborted. And um, she, she says, when they look at me, they see Downs and they don't see me. They don't see me. Well, you know what? God sees you and he sees me. He sees us before we ever were. He knows exactly what we are. I remember reading years ago of a man sitting in a park and he was sitting there and he was watching some children play and there was a little boy with Down syndrome and he was running around the park and he was happy and he was just excited and he was waving a little balloon or something that he had and and the little boy came up to this man and he told him, Jesus loves you. And he just ran off and he was doing that again. And this man said that meant so much to me. That that young boy had so much life in him. And he knew Jesus as a young boy. And I thought, wow, out of the mouths of babes. And I don't know, that just came to mind. I was thinking about that. How often we look at this and we say, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you have value. You have value even when things don't come together correctly. Because we live in a sin-cursed world. And it's in us it's in our dna and that's why we have problems why cancer arises and why death and heart disease and all the different things that happen and injuries that are 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 done by you know neglect and other things and i think god you still give us meaning and purpose even in our weaknesses psalm 119 verse 73 your hands have made me and fashioned me give me understanding that i may learn your commandments That's purpose right there. See, God made us. That's where we come from. And he gives us value. But he also gives us purpose. He wants us to learn about him. To learn his commandments. That's why he made us. That's why he made man. That I may learn your commandments. Isaiah 44 verse 2. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb. Who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. And there's that verse again, reminds 
well, in, in the direct context, uh, Israel, that God is the one who is formed you, and he is the one who will sustain you in that. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. The word for skillfully wrought is the same idea of being woven together. And when he talks about the frame was not hidden from you, that's, that's our, our, what makes us up, right? He knows us what we are. And when that's yet hidden in the womb, God still sees it and sees and knows every cell in our body. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, the lowest parts meaning um, the phrase there in the Hebrew meaning in the most humble of circumstances. And it is. If you think about that, that when God forms life in the womb, it isn't with a great fanfare of celebration. It's a secret thing almost. You know, it is. There's nobody witnesses that exactly. Now in science today and peering into the womb and all that, they, they, can, they can get glimpses of that. But when we are formed in the womb and begin life, it's just God that knows all the things that happens that happen at that very moment uh, in that time. And he skillfully made us so skillfully that we can't even reproduce it on our own. Uh, only he can do that. Secondly, and says, God arranges our bodies, but he also schedules our lives. He schedules our lives. Look at this. It says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. The eyes of God, eternal as they are, and that's again an anthropomorphic expression, right? Something that is a human attribute that's given to God for the writing of this. And here it is, is that God sees and knows all things. That's his omniscience. And he saw our substance before we were formed. Again, you have value. You have value even before you're, you're made. And I find that sometimes one of the saddest realities in our world where when you talk about abortion especially, because abortion really interrupts a miracle. It really does. And it interrupts a, a life. Uh, and it interrupts... Not just that life, but the generations of life that would come. And I often would like to say to some of these women and others, men as well, that are just really, I say, hell-bent on trying to kill their children and saying, no, you're actually killing your grandchildren. You say, well, what do you mean I'm killing my grandchildren? You are, because every child you kill, you're killing that child's future and children and children's children and all that. And you think about the lineage of kids that are, are killed. And, and I don't know a way to say it any other way than that. And again, there is grace and mercy at the cross. There's nothing that can't be forgiven if people will repent and come to him. And there have been some very sad decisions people have made in their lives. And, and God is still there to forgive. And that's really part of our message as well. But to know from the biblical perspective that God saw us before we were even formed. And in your book, they were all written. In other words, he saw every cell. He saw every part of us. And then he says, the days fashioned for me. He knows your days. 
however many days that is. Um, it could be a lot of days. It could be a few days. It could be days that never even make it out of the womb. And I think in heaven, uh, you know, there will be a lot that will be there that they never made it out of the womb for whatever reason. Sometimes people, um, there are miscarriages, there are other uh, things that happen, and then there's purposeful termination. And yet the Lord is the one who fashioned them. When as yet there were none of them, before there were even days, he saw every last one of them. Job 14.5 says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. God has a time frame in which we are occupying this body. And you aren't going to go beyond that. And you aren't going to try to somehow get away from it in the sense of that. The only way you'll not have any constraints on this body is when death comes and we put the body off. And yet he's not done. Someday he's going to give us a new body. Um, and there are appointed limits to that. It's a good thing. And I would say the amount of um, money that is spent every year and for all of us you know, trying to stay young and healthy and all that, and I can just say it doesn't matter. Eventually something's going to let go, and that'll be it. And uh, it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to stay healthy now. That's all part of um, being uh, useful for the Lord, right? We're his workmanship. That's what... Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and I think of that because that's the the meaning of life is that and the reason we live is that he wants us to be in that relationship with him and be created as his workmanship in Christ in Christ these same hands that came together in the womb are the same hands that can help somebody else. They're the same hands that I think of in the person of Jesus Christ when he was conceived in the virgin's womb and his body had to go from just that little minute speck of life all the way to a baby being born about nine months on and everything formed there and those same little hands had to learn to to pick up things and, and had to grow and get stronger and, and then later would be used as carpenter's hands. And I often think, what would Jesus' hands been like when you shook his hand? Probably a rough, strong hand. And yet those same hands would be eventually stretched out and they would be pierced for our transgressions. And God knew that. God's prepared them in us as well so that we should walk in them. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Why do we live and why do we go through life? Well, if you have a, a if you're a believer and a follower of the Lord obediently, you are to do so at his good pleasure. And that means I'm not really my own, right? I'm bought with a price. And that means that the Lord has the first say. And that should be our attitude. The further we get in a society from those things, the further we live for self and self alone. And we, it'll be our undoing. Psalm 33, 11. 
The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. We're back to that idea that God schedules our lives. And, you know, he knows his counsel and his counsel stands forever. His counsel stands for the whole of all generations. And I do think that God has a perfect plan for everything this world has. And the climactic event of human history will be when uh, the Lord decides that's enough (laughs) in that aspect of it until obviously there's the eternal state with him and all that. But he has a plan to redeem the earth. And if you go to the book of Revelation and you read in those uh, those chapters there the judgment that will fall upon the earth and um, the judgment that will fall upon people and his counsel although man takes counsel against the lord the lord has the last say because his counsel stands ours doesn't third thing god records each day and again that's also in verse 16 he records each and every day you know, if you ask me right now, what did you do last week? I'd have to, and even if you, what did you preach on last week in the morning? And I'd have to go, wow, okay, I think I know. If you told me, asked me like two months ago, what did you preach on? I'd have to really go back and just look at my notes because I forget. And that's just looking back. I, let alone, I couldn't tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow. Not exactly. I have a few plans, but those sometimes fall through. And then sometimes they change totally. But you know, the Lord is the one who knows us and he has fashioned them for us and he is the one that records each day both future and past. Nothing escapes his eye. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's, again, part of the reason why we have life, is that we yield ourselves over to him, which in verse 1 is our reasonable service, right? And that we don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. God's work is a work in progress. Just like life begins very simply and then becomes very complicated in no time. And you know what? We are to continue to grow in the Lord, renewing our minds, and working out that perfect will of God and doing that. Fourthly, God thinks innumerable thoughts. And these verses kind of, um, again, on the surface, when you look at them, how precious also are your thoughts to me. That means they're valuable. God ascribes thought to you. It was interesting. The other day I, I was in a place in a, this uh, old bald guy looked at me and he says you look familiar and I looked at him and I said you look familiar and I, I found out he's a year younger than me we went to high school together <laughs> so anyways I, I thought wow he's things have changed I hadn't thought of him since high school by the way he didn't even cross my mind and it wasn't we didn't really hang out together I knew his name and knew you know who he was what class he was in but uh, I thought isn't it amazing you can go uh, 34 years or whatever it is since I graduated high school and you can just not even think of all the people that were there that you maybe run it, ran into every day. And yet the Lord doesn't do that. He thinks about you all the time. He thinks about me all the time. And his thoughts are precious in the sense of value, right? He doesn't just waste thoughts on us, but he's actually thinking and he has you on his mind. And he says, 
Oh God, how great is the sum of them. And he goes on to describe how great they are because he says you can't count them, right? But I often think of that like if you could somehow measure the thoughts of an eternal God, how could you do that? First of all, never having a beginning, never having an end. And he's always thinking. And how could you ever measure that against anything that we could understand? We can't. That's really, it blows your mind, I guess, to say it. Psalm 92, verse 5, O Lord, how great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. It sort of blows the excuse when somebody says, oh, those Christians are just simple people using religion as a crutch. Well, listen, if you know the Lord, the God of creation, you know somebody who's the deepest thinker there's ever been. And the, man, and the one who has uh, the... the most well the most thoughts of any person that's ever lived because he lives forever isaiah 55 8 for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts and here on those two verses the really the analogy is if you can tell me how high the heavens are then I'll tell you how much God can think, because he's actually beyond that, all right? I can't tell you, because even if you knew that. And, of course, in my lifetime, they've discovered in the last 50 years or so, they've discovered that the the universe is larger than they ever imagined, and it seems like every year they discover it's even bigger than they previously thought. And here God is the one who said, let there be light, and he creates, Right? And he puts matter in space and time. And he's the one who knows these things. And my thoughts don't even begin to equal his thoughts. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We are in a time in the United States, in the, just the secular world, that says we're in a mental health crisis. And I see it. I see it every week. I, I go on EMS calls sometimes, I've said this, one end of the state to the other, helping people move from one place of treatment to another place of treatment because they have a crisis of their own mental health because most of them, and about nine times out of ten, it is because somebody has lost hope. And I would just say this, that is all we can ever do if they don't know the Lord and they don't know the gospel because this is a world that has no hope in itself. It really doesn't. There's some good things out there. There's some decent people you run into, but even the most decent of people will let you down. And they'll leave you without hope if your hope is only in them. And I think the further we get from the God of the Bible in our knowledge, the darker it will get with people's minds. And I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. And as Christians, we have the answer. We, we can go through those dark times with hope. doesn't mean we don't struggle, but we have hope, right? Psalm 139, 18, he says, For if, if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. So in case you figure out how big the universe is, um, then go back and try to count all the sand out there. Make sure you don't leave out one grain. Um, it's an impossible thing, isn't it? 
If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And I don't know really that last phrase, when I awake. Um, I wonder, again, it's the picture of life in the womb and then coming out. And not only are you made in the secret parts of uh, the womb, but when you come out and awake, and that's often the way they termed even a birth was a quickening, meaning awakening. And uh, that's why even in legal definitions, they fight this. When, is, when does life start? Does it start at birth or does it start at conception? I think the Bible is very clear on conception. And I think science is very clear. It's in the womb. Absolutely. But here, the psalmist just reminds us that when we do awake and we come to that understanding, the Lord's still there. And you know, even when we die, we go from this life and we awake in glory, he's still there. We go from the womb when we are formed through procreation and then you have this little human being and all the way through the stages of life and even death and God's there every step forever that gives us great hope gives us great purpose in that I wanted to just in closing and I was thinking about this because there's a lot of people that are out there talking about the a woman's right to choose and uh, it's interesting, I even went on a YouTube video just before church tonight, and I was looking for a little segment on life in the womb, and I was just looking for something, and the very first thing is an advertisement, it's a political ad, and it was directed at um, a pro-life candidate in the state of Maine, and it was against that candidate, and, and it was interesting that it was a woman, and she said this, she said, and it was a little picture of her girl doing homework at the table, and she said, uh, she is learning about freedom even when now people want to take that freedom from her. And they were talking about the right to abort a baby. That usually is not the follow-up question. When somebody says, it's my right to choose, you say, what is that choice that you're making? That choice is always results in the death of a child. Always. If that's you know when you're choosing, choosing death. And it's their right, right? Is it? And I think the Bible speaks to that too. And I just wanted to break away from this psalm for a moment and just talk about four things that I believe the Bible teaches about why uh, there really is no choice. <laughs> okay? Uh, and I mean it that way because if, you are, if you're going to follow what God lays out, uh, there are very clear principles in Scripture about that. The first one is innocent life. Now, I understand theologically speaking that we are born in sin, we're shaped in iniquity, that we're not too, truly innocent, we're, we're lost little sinners. But you know what? There is an idea, and the Bible lays this out as well, of shedding innocent blood. In other words, not in the course of warfare or in the course of an uh, act of, uh, I shouldn't say vengeance, but of in th- like some kind of authority. That, there, are, there are times where blood was shed that way. But it, going out and killing something or someone that is innocent. And the Bible talks about it. Actually, God says he hates it. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, remember it says, These six things does God hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And he says, A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. 
When a child is killed in the womb, it is the death of someone who has not decided to do anything. They have had no choice in that. And at every instance of that, there is innocent blood that is shed. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Secondly, there is the principle of what we'd call the golden rule. Right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It's also in the, in the book of Luke. Jesus says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In the, we often call that the golden rule. In other words, whatever you want done to you, you do it to other people first. All right? Most of us would not like to have our life terminated by somebody else. And really, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on that. All the commandments, everything, on how you treat someone else. And when you look, and I will say this absolute with clarity, that a baby in the womb is not a woman's body. That body is a unique human being made up of unique DNA. We know that from science. And so to make that argument that that's my body, my choice, is just scientifically wrong. It's not let alone biblically wrong. And I understand, they may not yield to either, but it is morally and ethically wrong. How would you want your, you know, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, right? And then there's also the idea of uh, going against our own instinct. And I say that because in us as people, there is this really God stamp. It's, it's, I don't want to base it just like an animal instinct, but a mothering instinct, and in particular women, right? To mother their children. Not all women are good mothers. Not all men are good fathers. But there is this pattern with this, and to become outside of that pattern, you have to fight that. And you fight it long enough, you will actually get to a point where you're without, what the Bible says, without natural affection. And you know, according to the Word of God, both in Romans chapter 1, it is a sign of depravity as we go further and further away, and we, we decide that we have no natural affection for our children. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we know that it's a sign of the end times. Paul writes here, he says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and then New King James says unloving. I think it's without natural affection in the, in the authorized version. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. My friends, I would love to put those verses in the hands of my representatives in Washington, D.C. and others in my state and say hey be careful because this is what the bible says is going to come and where how do you measure up to that? how do i measure up to that and i could just say you look at what is put in our minds and our advertising and all those things and people are calling evil good and good evil and when they are 
literally making people demonized. They're saying they're, they're demons for believing that you should stand up for innocent life. We are in perilous times. And that Psalm 139 reminds us that life is precious. It's valuable. And we have to be careful. And so not only, again, I just lay out those points, that you have the aspect of, um, of uh, uh, innocent blood, shedding innocent blood, and then the golden rule, right? That's another thing that we have to overcome in the Scriptures. And then thirdly, this natural affection, which is stamped in us, right? And for women, it's a natural thing for them to want to mother, and it has to become an unnatural affection to not. And then lastly, there's the principle of freedom, the principle of liberty. And liberty is a kind of a loaded word. If you look it up in the dictionary, I think I looked it up just before I got here. Uh, Liberty means a state of being free within society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. That's kind of the, the basis of that. There's other definitions as well. But the idea of the, the person, the individual, has freedom to choose and freedom to live. And that is built right into our foundational documents in our country. And when it comes to terminating a life in the womb, purposefully, um, you, are, you are trampling on someone else's liberty. You may think, oh, it's about my liberty. No, but it's about that child also. And when you trample on somebody else's liberty, uh, you know, you're going against the biblical principle of liberty. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 would be the verses I was thinking about on that. And I didn't put them in here. But Galatians chapter 5, in verse 13, Paul writes, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. He's referring to believers. And do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is again. Why do we have liberty in Christ? And how should we exercise that? We should exercise it in the responsibility of how we treat our neighbors. Or the unborn. And again, I say over this. God is a God of grace and forgiveness, and he is quick to forgive. But as a country, we're headed in a bad direction, and we need to push back politely, lovingly, but firmly, too, with what the Word of God says. Lord, we are grateful for your Word. And Lord, as we've gone down through this passage tonight, it just is a stark reminder of who you are. And Lord, you will judge. <laughs> That's the next section. And yet, Lord, we pray right now for your restraining mercy. Oh, Lord, I pray for our nation. I pray for um, our leaders. And Lord, may you put more people that would have a biblical worldview. They would have a foundation that would uphold innocent blood as valuable. And Lord, not be self-seeking, but seeking the, the best of others. And Lord, I pray you could raise up some like that. And again, Lord, we thank you that you are the one who knew every single one of us before we were even formed. And you know our days. Help us to live those days in accordance with you. 
walking in godliness. And we'll just rejoice when we awake in your presence forever. And we just give you the glory tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.